Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast offering perspective and insight on the top issues facing today's industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering distracted driving. Most states already have laws to ban texting and driving, but one industry advocate says it may not be enough to protect drivers. Plus, disaster mitigation takes a major step forward. How this move will improve the overall resiliency of our country. And predicting our political future. Chuck talks with NAMIC Senior Vice President of Government Affairs about some factors that could influence the outcome of the upcoming midterm elections. But first... A quick news roundup. As many of you know, April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. NAMIC members have been actively involved in the issue with company initiatives as well as supporting legislation to help curb this deadly practice. From the legislative side, while there are texting and driving laws in most states, Kathy Chase, CEO of Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety, says they don't go far enough. In Georgia, there is a bill that would broaden the definition of distraction. Right now, there are texting bans um, in place, as I mentioned, in 43 states and D.C., but they just prohibit texting in some cases. Now, people are using their phones for a variety of reasons, for apps, taking pictures. Um, the, The use of the technology has really broadened, so the laws need to be updated and upgraded to keep in place with what's happening with the usage of them. I think part of the challenge is that everyone thinks that they can multitask. Um, we're kind of, our society is such a, everyone is in a rush. Everybody needs to do a number of things at the same time. And people think that, especially people who have a lot of driving experience already, it's kind of second nature. So they think they can take something else on when really the focus has to be on the driving task. Chase notes that in an effort to address a broader scope, the Georgia bill is often referred to as DUIE, or Driving Under the Influence of Electronics. For a complete look at state highway safety laws, including those on distracted driving, visit saferoads.org and download the 2018 roadmap from the advocates. Acting Director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Mick Mulvaney, appeared before House and Senate committees to talk about the appropriate role and scope of the Bureau. Previously, NAMIC had raised concerns about CFPB's role as it relates to insurance. In his capacity as OMB Director, Mulvaney also faced tough questioning on crop insurance. The White House is proposing to slash crop insurance by one-third at the same time ag committees are drafting a new farm bill. Montana Senator John Tester took the opportunity during last week's hearing to challenge Director Mulvaney on his understanding of the impact reducing subsidies would have on farmers. I got asked the question, and the point of the matter was that we tried to tailor our benefits to farms that had uh, below a quarter of a million dollars of adjusted gross income to speak to the exact group that you've just talked about to encourage family farming but and small farming. That's not what the president's budget proposal does. I, I, and with, I'm going to tell you, with respect, Purdue, you Purdue understands agriculture. I hope you have people in your agency that understand family farm agriculture. Otherwise, I am telling you, we will see a mass exodus off the land. It will hurt our security in this country. It is critically important. Last thing, and then I'll give up the mic. When I go around and talk to folks in Montana, 
Agriculture is the number one industry. They say one thing to me, first thing out of the mouth, when we talk about reauthorizing the farm program, don't screw up crop insurance. It's our safety net. It will put us out of business. And I'm talking about the little guys are telling me that. NAMIC opposes making cuts to the federal crop insurance program and will work with lawmakers to ensure they are aware of the program's importance. The House plans to begin markup of its farm bill this week. It's been almost eight months since Hurricane Irma made landfall in Florida and Hurricane Harvey hit Texas. Both storms were devastating, yet in Florida, Hurricane Irma successfully tested the strength of building codes put in place following Hurricane Andrew some 25 years ago. NAMIC Federal Affairs Director Andrew Huff spoke at a panel last week for the Urban Institute. He told attendees that the evidence showed the value of those stronger building codes. That, that really made a difference uh, in the wake of Irma, where a lot of homes were standing that wouldn't have been standing after Andrew. And so I think that really had an impact, as well as obviously the horrible devastation in Houston. And, um, and so this February of this year, um, uh, a provision was signed into law. It's a really major provision, and I w- I'm really excited to tell you guys about it. So it would increase the post-disaster federal cost share for states by 10% based on a state's resiliency rating. So FEMA right now is creating this resiliency rating for states. We're working with FEMA to do that. And so states will be rated on, one, the adoption and enforcement of strong building codes. Uh, Two, participation in the community rating system, investments in disaster mitigation, um, creating tax incentive programs to encourage resilience, as well as investments in disaster relief, insurance, and emergency management programs. The NAMIC-led Build Strong Coalition played a pivotal role in seeing the new disaster incentive provision added into the recent omnibus spending bill. The National Pre-Disaster Mitigation Fund was increased to $250 million, the highest it's ever been. Those funds will be used to prevent loss of life, mitigate risk, reduce damage from future disasters, and lower flood insurance premiums. Disaster mitigation isn't the only win we've seen for the insurance industry on Capitol Hill. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC President and CEO Chuck Chamness sits down with Jimmy Grandy, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, to discuss some other major accomplishments and what the future may hold for insurers and the nation as we approach the midterm elections. Uh, Jimmy, you know, leading our government affairs operation, uh, being a senior member of our team and operating from D.C., puts you in a position to uh, see a lot, hear a lot, be part of a lot, and, of course, uh, accomplish a lot on behalf of our members. Why don't you start out with just uh, talking about some recent accomplishments uh, we've had as an industry and uh, whether they're Washington-focused or other government affairs uh, accomplishments. Thanks, Chuck. You know, in the... uh current environment wins are always hard to come by and define, but I think uh, for our members, they should feel really good about the uh, political muscle that they have lent to NAMIC in helping us to uh, be a player at the state level, at the national level, and even internationally. Um, you know, the most recent victory, I guess, um, is what you asked, is it's probably tax reform. And I would put the insurance industry up against any other industry in America in terms of getting out of the reform what we were seeking going into it. Uh, you know, a lot of groups went into to tax reform and said these are the three things or the five things that we would like to achieve. And for our industry, 
which is unique and did need a special tax treatment. They all say that, though, don't they? They do. You know, that's a great point. Everybody claims to be a unique uh, butterfly in the world of taxes. But uh, as as you well know, and as our members certainly appreciate, we we really are different. We we don't just make a widget that, that and we don't know what the cost of our product is when we sell it. So. Uh, what they call a subchapter L for all of the tax nerds is, is basically how our industry is taxed and the treatment of our industry. It allows us to do things like um, carry forward and carry backwards losses. Um, and so it, it, we have to have unique treatment. So at the end of the day, when tax reform was all said and done, um, you know, we had eight to ten priorities going into it. And we came out uh, maintaining the entire subchapter L all of our treatment, uh, maintained the small mutual inflation update that we fought so hard for for many years, um, and we got to benefit from the uh, rate reduction from 35 down to 21. So overall, uh, while not without some difficulties in the short term, our industry comes out uh, pretty big winners in the effective tax rate we'll be paying going forward. Excellent. So many have commented, and I know here at... uh this meeting with members, many will ask, you know, how do you get things done in this environment? Um, Washington is a um, challenging place, and uh, it's in an unusual uh, situation. Um, how do you get things done? That's a fair question. I, you know, I, it's easier to be entertaining when you um, talk about Washington these days because we have so much material, but it is a lot harder to actually uh, get things done. Uh, the nice thing about, I think, NAMIC and our members that uh, put us in a stronger hand than many is we tend to take the long view. Uh, we start early on issues, and uh, when we ask our members to help, they almost always say yes. And so that can start with uh, the NAMIC Congressional Contact Program and members of ours coming into Washington before an issue is, you know, air quotes, you know, ripe. Uh, and helping to educate members of Congress and their staff before the issue becomes on their on their table, um, you know it's it's often said. I don't know who first coined the phrase. Washington does two things well: nothing at all, or overreact. And uh, the way you prevent them from overreacting is through education. So, uh, I, you know, one example, you know, of how do you win in Washington? I would highlight is our. Uh, national mitigation, investment strategy. Uh, our, our message on resiliency overall has evolved over the last few years to a point where politicians and policymakers never considered for a moment that we lacked any kind of cohesive strategy for mitigation um, and protecting the investment that your government makes when the government spends money post-disaster. And after many years of... Uh, delivering a message in Congress. I often hear from our members, Jimmy, I've come to Washington for the fourth year in a row, and you've got me delivering the same message. I'm getting tired of delivering that message. You know, When can we stop? And we, we try to you know, buck them up and say, please don't stop yet. You know, we, we've, got them, we've got the ball on the five-yard line, and we've got to keep pushing. Um, and so just this year, a few months ago, the president signed into law for the first time ever uh, an incentive plan that will actually incentivize our local communities and states to think about resiliency, to think about a mitigation plan, because we know in our industry, it seems obvious to us, 
Um, and as you often like to quote Ben Franklin, Chuck, um, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so uh, we know for every dollar spent on pre-disaster mitigation before the storm, it can save four, six, eight dollars afterwards. And so that took many years. It, was, it seems like an obvious thing. Uh, and maybe that, you know, to your question about, you know, the sort of um, chaos in Washington and the difficult environment, even things that make sense uh, take a while to uh, get through to Washington. Well, it seems like only yesterday we had the presidential elections, but here we sit in a midterm election year uh, with November's elections deciding the future of Congress, both House and Senate potentially, uh, on the horizon. What do you see coming up uh, albeit several months out from that uh, election in November? Well, uh, the first uh, piece of advice I have is ignore anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen, which means you shouldn't believe anybody on cable news today. Um, Whichever network you prefer, um, they both tend to react to what's in the news today and overreact to it. Um, The fact of the matter is you have a midterm election coming up, Uh, presidential midterm, which historically is really bad for the president in power. So just based on history, the Republicans should have a very tough re-election cycle. However, um, you can't just rely on history. What we've known uh, for several decades as political science and and a data-driven business is changing. It's why most of the pundits and polls were wrong in 2016. Uh, people's attitudes and behaviors are changing, and the science of our political system hasn't caught up to it yet. That said, um, you know, here's, here's what we've seen since Election Day 2016. Um, in every election we've had since then, many of them are special elections or off-cycle elections, about 71 or 72 percent of the people who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 are turning out to vote. And only about 55% of the folks that voted for President Trump are turning out to vote. And so you've got this great enthusiasm gap. And that's real. We see the energy. Ask anybody in Virginia or Wisconsin and some of the elections they've just gone through, and it's a very real thing. But it also gets overly simplified, I think, in, in the press today. It's, it's pretty typical. Uh, a party like the Republicans who didn't have the White House for eight years, weren't happy with the direction President Obama was taking the country, fought hard, fought hard, and so they feel like they got over the mountaintop when President Trump won, and so they relax and they they take a break. And then the other side, having feeling like they lost something, get draw energy. And so you see this sort of whipsaw in our electoral system With the way information moves today and and the electorate, you know, everybody talks about presidential approval numbers or generic ballot for the for Congress. And it's like tracking the stock market or the weather. It it, it changes so frequently. So uh, if you ask me to to predict for you what will happen in the 2018 midterm elections, I would submit we'd have to know what was happening in the news in September, October because it'll be close enough where one activity or event during that time can sway the outcome of the election. It will be that close. Uh, the, the Democrats need 24 seats to take the majority in the House, and that's possible. Um, some will tell you it's inevitable. Some will tell you it's not possible. It's neither inevitable nor impossible. 
And, okay. in, and in the Senate, um, the map is really working against the Democrats. They've got at least five seats they have to defend in states that Trump won by 19 points. And that's a tough, uh, tall order. But uh, some days it feels like the president's doing everything he can to help him. Well, the uh, crystal ball is cloudy. We'll, I'm sure, revisit this uh, probably even before the election. Um, one thing we know is that in terms of our members and industry, regardless of the election outcome, you know, what government does matters. We live and work in a highly regulated industry, but, uh, you know, with your help, we'll see our way through to the election and beyond and still be in good hands in terms of the public policy and its effect on the property casualty insurance industry. So thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, sir. On the next Unscripted, Chuck sits down with Dr. David Harkey, the new president and CEO of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. The IIHS is currently conducting research on automated vehicle technologies, and Dr. Harkey breaks down the impact AVs could have on distracted driving. And finally, before we wrap up, NAMIC wants to congratulate Roy Wright on being named the new president and CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. He joins IBHS from his most recent stint as Deputy Associate Administrator for Insurance and Mitigation at FEMA. Wright will take over the reins of the organization from Julie Rochman, who is retiring at the end of June. And a reminder, you can listen to Chuck's recent interview with Julie about her career at IBHS on our first episode of Insurance Uncovered, available now on iTunes. Well, that's it for us today. As always, we'd love to have your feedback. If there is something you want to learn more about on Insurance Uncovered, or if you have an idea for an interview, just shoot us an email at uncovered at namic.org. Be on the lookout for our next episode on May 2nd. I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.